today is the day that we come to the final in our series looking at the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation. And uh, you can give yourself a pat on the back. You've made it through six whole sermons on Revelation. Uh, You're nearly there, just one more to go. Um, But we've been looking at these letters together for a reason, and that is because whilst I was away on sabbatical, I was listening to a set of sermons on this uh, passage, on these passages whilst I was away, and it struck me just how relevant they are to our church today as well. And so over the last few weeks, I hope you've been encouraged um, as we've been reminded to be a church that continues to be defined by its love. If you remember back to the first week of the clinging, if without love being a clanging symbol and the desire of the church, or Jesus' desire for his church to be defined by love. I hope you've been blessed as we've been reminded to live for truth, even in a world that sometimes doesn't value that truth and even tries to undermine it. I hope that you've been encouraged to persevere when times get tough, that we might feel, when we might feel like it's under pressure, that we continue to keep Jesus at the forefront of our minds and the reason why we keep going on. Because as we were reminded last week, although we might never be perfect as a church, we can be a church that is pleasing to God. And that's what we're wanting and aiming and striving to do, is to please God with all that we are and with all that we have. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to um, listen to the letter um, to uh, the church in Laodicea, um, which will be in Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 14, if you've got your Bibles with me, or with you even, hopefully with you, not with me. Um, But let's pray, and then we'll um, spend some time looking at God's Word together. Father God, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the way in which you speak to the life of your church for the way in which you care about your church. And Lord, we pray that as we look at these letters and this message to the church in Laodicea, that once again we would hear a message to your church here in this place, in this moment, and that we as individuals of your church would hear you speaking to our hearts, speaking to our our minds, speaking to our souls again, that we might continue to worship you and follow you and be pleasing to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, if you've got your Bibles with me then, and would like to turn to Revelation chapter 3, we'll be starting, like I say, at verse 14, and going down to the end of the chapter, and uh, the words are on the screen if you'd like to follow along as well. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one, of the, or either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. There's an image for church on a, on a Sunday morning. You say I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shamefulness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love 
I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, it's a bit of a stark letter uh, that Jesus gives to the church in Laodicea, isn't it? Uh, But as with all the letters, Jesus starts by introducing himself to the church in Laodicea. And hopefully, uh, by now as a church, you'll have heard that our first value as a church is to keep Jesus at the center of all that we do. And in these letters, it's clear what's at the center of who, uh, or who is at the center of all of these letters. As John writes down this revelation of Jesus, he's keen to make sure that the church knows that this is about keeping Jesus at the center. John doesn't want the, want the church to be under any doubt that these letters are not worth listening to just because he's seen some nice ideas and he decided to write them down. But he wants the church to listen to these letters because they have, because these are the words of Jesus passing on messages uh, to his church. So Jesus starts this message by saying these words are, are, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus once again puts a stake in the ground and leaves the church under no illusions about who he is. He says that I'm the creator and the ruler of of the whole of creation. All the authority is his. He is the one who is in control. He is in control, but he's also the amen a statement that refers back to agreeing to truth. In other words, Jesus has all authority. He has all truth. Each of these seven churches, if you notice, has over the last few weeks, has received a different introduction, a different revelation of who Jesus is. And this illustrates a really important point as we think about the God who has all authority and all truth in his hands. All the churches get the insight into knowing something about Jesus, but none of them know everything about Jesus. Let's take a moment to to let that dwell into your mind. None of the churches claim that they know everything about who Jesus is. A couple of weeks ago, we met up with some great friends for dinner, and as we were chatting over dinner and about some various things that are going on in their lives at the moment, uh, one of our our friends turned around to uh, Rachel and I and said, you know those old wristbands that people used to wear when they were called and hip and teenagers, uh, that used to say, what would Jesus do? You know, WWJD, and we all went around going, what would Jesus do? And uh, my friend's reflection said, do you know what, there was a time in my life where in any given situation, I could give a good stab at what I'd think Jesus would do. 
But the older and the wiser that my friend has become, the more he's recognized this really important truth that none of us can truly always know the mind of Christ in its entirety. The Bible tells us and shows us the mind of Christ. Yes, there's ways we can define and understand what Jesus is calling us to do. But there are some times where there's gray in this world where we just don't know how Jesus would respond. It's up to Jesus to decide. And even if we do think we know, Jesus is bigger than our minds can ever comprehend. He might do something that, out, that completely throws us off kilter, as he did time and time again throughout the Gospels. Just as people thought they'd got a handle of who this Jesus was, he then went and did something else that blew their mind. No church can know the whole mind of Christ. This is why we should celebrate the beauty and the diversity of the church and why as a church we should always maintain a posture of humility. We should be cautious of being the church that thinks we know all the answers. Uh, But we can celebrate the diversity that there is within Christ's body. The church shouldn't all be clones of each other. Even in our theology, there is room for our diversity. Not because... Uh, we can't agree, um, not, not one, but because not one of us can see and know and understand the fullness of who Jesus is for ourselves. He's bigger, he's greater than anyone can fathom. He is the God of all authority, he's the God of all truth. And he reveals himself in different ways to different people and to different churches. As he said, uh, uh, as he has with the other churches, Jesus then goes on to be very mindful of the context uh, in which the church in Laodicea is based. Uh, To give you a little bit of context, Laodicea was just 10 miles away from the city of Colossae, the book that the book of Colossians is written to. It was one of the wealthiest cities in Asia Minor, and it controlled a number of trade routes. It was famous for its clothing. If you liked London Fashion Week, then uh, Laodicea was the place for you to go in the ancient world. And because of its trade routes, because of its clothing, because of its various other things, Laodicea was one of the wealthiest places um, in, in the uh, ancient world. It, had no, it never had a need for, for money. It was always able to provide for what it needed to, to do. So instead, as a city, they were able to offer help and support and give loans to other people who needed it and to other cities that needed it. And apparently, even the city of Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish faith, like the major capital or religious capital of the world, um, once spoke to Laodicea and asked if they could have for financial assistance from them. Laodicea was like the banking capital of the world. They had wealth beyond all measure. But alongside its wealth, the church in Laodicea was also struggling with the same heresy that was present in the church in Colossae. This heresy um, and this false belief ultimately diminished the role and the character of Jesus. And uh, this heresy is addressed by Paul in his letter to the Colossians, 
where he instructs the church and addresses this heresy by by proclaiming right off the bat in chapter 1 of Colossians uh, by saying this, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What a great picture of who Jesus is. When we recognize that this is the message that the church in Laodicea were needing to hear, it gives us a fresh understanding as to why Jesus introduces himself as the faithful, true witness, the ruler of God's creation. There was a battleground for the identity and the understanding of who Jesus was in Laodicea. We always need to keep our minds fixed on a clear vision of who Jesus is. We can't be distracted to think that Jesus is less than that. We can't, we've got to always remember that he is the faithful and true witness, the author of all creation. Having introduced himself, Jesus then assesses the church in Laodicea. And these verses are probably amongst the most frequently uh, misunderstood verses in the evangelical church. I know I'm guilty of this from time to time as well, because I'm sure that we've all heard someone challenge us before about being a lukewarm Christian, or we've heard those words said before. The idea being that you're, you're lukewarm, you're, and if you're lukewarm, you'll be spit out of Jesus. Instead, what Jesus really wants is red hot. Christians, people who are on fire for Jesus, and if you're not measuring up, then Jesus is going to have an issue with you. Now, don't get me wrong, there's nothing I love more than seeing people who are sold out for Jesus, who are fully committed, who are on fire for him, but if we apply this to this verse, we quickly hit a stumbling block, because here Jesus tells us that if we're lukewarm, he gives us that wonderful image of being spat out. But we know that that's not the true character of who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't want anyone to perish. He loves all people. His grace abounds. The idea that Jesus could spit us out is inconsistent with what we read in the rest of the Bible. He longs for us to be fully committed to him. But if we haven't quite warmed up enough, whatever warm enough means, he isn't going to spit us out and reject us. That's not who Jesus is. He wants to take us on a journey with him rather than enforcing that we um, do everything straight away. To understand this then a little bit more, we need to understand a little bit more of the context of Laodicea. And Laodicea had its, uh, or didn't have its own direct water source. So it could get its 
water from two places. There's a place called Aeropolis, and Aeropolis had hot mineral springs that were excellent for going and taking a bath in. Uh, you could go there, relax in the nice hot mineral water, and it was apparently good for healing aches and pains and all the rest of the stuff. Um, I'm sure a few of us wouldn't mind going and having a nice hot warm bath in the Aeropolis Springs um, at the moment. On the other hand, uh, the, the Laodiceans could go to Colossae, and there they could get cold water that was nice and cold and refreshing and good for drinking. The problem was that the water supply in Laodicea came from Aeropolis. And by the time that the hot mineral water had come from Laodicea all the way down to Laodicea, it was no longer hot, but it had cooled and it had become lukewarm. And not only that, as the water cooled, it became contaminated and when you drank this lukewarm water that had come down from the springs in Aeropolis, it could physically make people ill, very deliberately making them spit the water out of their mouth. So Jesus is using imagery that the church would have understood in Laodicea to make a point. Jesus' assessment of the church is not that they're being mediocre Christians, but rather that they're being totally ineffective. They are neither hot nor cold. They're not offering the nice, warm, healing water that you can get in Aeropolis uh, that offers refreshment they, uh, the instead, instead, uh, and healing to our bodies. They're not offering cold water that people can drink and enjoy and sustain life. So instead, they have no purpose. This water is lukewarm. It's good for nothing. And as they have no purpose, Jesus effectively says to the church, you're leaving a bad taste in the mouths of everyone uh, who sees you as my followers. You're not showing the glory and the wonder and the faithful and the truth of who Jesus is. Instead, you're leaving them with a sour taste that they want to just discard and spit out. Jesus wants the church to decide who they are and to be who they are. You can't sit on the fence. You can't be both hot and cold, but you can't compromise. If you remember a few weeks ago, we, we, we uh, heard about the dangers of compromise, that compromise is a lie that encourages us to do the wrong things for the right reasons. Jesus wants the church to be committed to who they are, to stick to the purpose that he has given to them. To do anything else would only leave a bad taste in people's mouths. May we not be a bad church that makes a blood that leaves a bad taste in people's mouths, but may we stick to our purpose. May we offer healing. May we offer refreshment. May we give life to those around us. Having assessed the church, Jesus then holds up a mirror to the church and reflects what he sees to the church in Laodicea. As we've already seen, Laodicea was a thriving, successful, glamorous place. It was wealthy. It had well-dressed people in it. Not only was it wealthy and well-dressed, but they also had a hospital. And this hospital was famous for having a, a special salve, um, an, an, an ointment, I guess, that would, people could put on their eyes 
to help with their eyesight. But Jesus looks at the church in Laodicea and the community in Laodicea and he sees them differently to how they see themselves. Laodicea saw themselves as a success, but Jesus says they're wretched and just how broken they are. Laodicea saw that they were wealthy, but Jesus says, no, you're not, you're poor. The Laodiceans saw that they were famous for their clothes and for being well-dressed, but Jesus looks at them and says, no, you're naked. Whilst their hospital could help people with their eyesight that they might see more clearly, Jesus says, no, you're blind. How we see ourselves is not necessarily how God sees us. We might perceive our successes, we might celebrate our achievements, but Jesus can look at what we think is excellent and say that it is broken. The Laodiceans were successful, they were wealthy, they had their own reputation that they were, and great they were in worldly terms, but they were never as great as Jesus, the one who is faithful and true, the author of all creation. They may have had a good reputation, but they could never match up to the reputation of Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Instead, Jesus encourages this church in Laodicea to invest in gold refined in him, heavenly treasure that is good and pure after it's been refined by the fire. Church in Laodicea were putting their value in the wrong things, in the wrong places. And so I wonder this morning, what is it that we value? Where are you storing up your riches, your pride, your, what is it that you value the most? If Jesus held up a mirror to your life, what might he see differently to how you see? Do you treasure your bank balance more than his kingdom? Do you care more about your reputation than his glory and his honor? Do you care more about your appearance than the appearance of Jesus and his church? What do you value the most? Where are your riches? How might you invest in the treasure of heaven, that, that heavenly gold that Jesus alone can give, rather than the riches of this world? Having reflected what he sees to the church in Laodicea, Jesus then moves on and corrects them. It's been a pretty, pretty blunt letter to this point, isn't it? Jesus is holding up the mirror and showing some home truths to the church in Laodicea. But then in verse 19, he says this, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Jesus' message to the church in Laodicea was an uncomfortable one for them to hear. But Jesus wants to know, or them to know why he is sharing this uncomfortable message with them. It's not just to get on their backs and to tell them they need to do better, but the driver for this message was that he loved the church. He loved his people. Jesus is faithful and true. He reveals his truth. 
He disciplines and rebukes, but he does it all as a sign of his love. Our culture today too often resents this idea of correction. And I would even argue sometimes has a warped understanding of what love really is. Love is not just about going along with uh, what everyone else thinks because we've got to accept them for who they are. We want to be loved and told everything is great about us. But we need to be a people who embrace correction. We shouldn't just want to surround ourselves with people who, want, or who will say what we want to hear. We need to gather around people who care about us enough to be able to hold up the mirror, to offer correction, not because they want to get on our backs, but because they genuinely, sincerely love us and want the best for us. They want to see us thrive, to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. And so when they see us drifting off course, they say, hang on, come back over this way. Get back in line. Make a course correction. We need to re-understand what love is. It's not loving to let people drift off and go off and end up driving off a cliff. The loving thing is to grab hold of the steering wheel and to keep them back on the road. Love is not that I just accept you as you are. Love is that despite all the issues, despite all the mistakes, despite all the places we disagree, we continue to love and care for you. Love continues to not be defined by who you are, but who you can be. This is the love that Jesus shows for us. Jesus didn't love us because he liked everything about who we are. Jesus loved us because whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were everything Jesus didn't want us to be, still his love remained. And he took corrective action. How can we today remain open to correction? How might we lower our pride? How might we look at our reflection? How might we let people love us and shape us to be the people that God has created us to be? But most importantly of all, are you open to receiving not only the love of Jesus, but are you also equally open to receiving his correction? To be brought back into line as to who he wants you to be that you might value what he values, that you might grow in his love and know his faithfulness and his truth for yourself. As Jesus corrects the church, as he brings them back into line, he then says, I've got an invitation for you. The church in Laodicea were far from perfect, but Jesus was still knocking at the door. He wanted to come in to their lives. He wanted to come into their church. He may have rebuked and corrected them, but his love for them still continued to remain. So even when things in the midst of this harsh letter, Jesus is still there knocking, saying to the church in Laodicea, I want to come in. Will you hear me? I'm knocking at your door. 
As Jesus knocks at the door, he invites anyone who hears him knocking to say, come and eat with me. Jesus' invitation is not just to a whole church community, but he invites the individual. He doesn't invite any church that hears him knocking, but he says anyone who knocks, open the door and I will come in. There's an important lesson we can take from this. Your faith is not dependent upon your church. Your faith is dependent upon you. Jesus will come and he'll knock, not at the church's door, but at your door. And it's not up to the church to open that door, but it's up to you to hear open up that door as Jesus knocks and asks to, become in, to be let into your life. The question is, are we willing to open that door? Jesus will always be knocking, but will we let him in? Again, Jesus wants to nurture and feed us, but this responsibility is not the church's, but it's ours. Each week as a church, we will open up the Bible together. Anyone who stands on this stage will give of our best that we possibly can to be able to help you to worship Jesus, to understand the Bible, to know more of his truth for himself. We'll do everything we can as a church to help you hear Jesus knock. But ultimately, the question is to whether you open that door, whether you feel fed and nurtured by who Jesus is, is not on the church, but it's on you, being willing to open the door to let Jesus in. Jesus is always knocking. He's still knocking today. He wants to come. He wants to eat with you. If you've not been fed in our services, don't complain about the church, but look in the mirror. Jesus is looking at, he's knocking at your door, but are you hearing him? Are you willing to go and open the door and let him in and let him feed your soul? This passage um, inspired a famous painting that some of you uh, may know by William Holman. I wasn't sure if I could put it on the screen because of copyright and stuff, so go and Google it later um, and find it. Um, uh, uh, the artist is William Holman. But in this picture, Jesus is seen standing at a door and knocking. But on the, in the picture, the door has no handle on the side that Jesus is stood knocking at. The idea being that instead the door handle is on the other side of the door, so only those who hear the knock can let Jesus in. Jesus is never going to force himself onto us and into our lives. He'd love nothing more than to come in, to sit down, to eat with you, to feed your soul, to get to know you. But, he'll ne but he won't force himself in. He'll never stop knocking. But it's up to us if we will let him in. Last week, we looked at this refrain that's in all of the letters to all of the churches in Revelation. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This morning, Jesus is knocking. Will you have ears to hear him knock? It might be loud, it might be faint, but Jesus will never stop knocking. As you hear him knock, will you open the door and open your life that Jesus might enter in, the one who is 
faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Let's pray together. Jesus, this morning we once again fix our eyes on who you are. You are the one who is faithful and true. The one who rules over all creation. And as we fix our eyes on you today, we pause to listen to you knocking on our door. Maybe there are some of us here this morning or joining in with us online today for whom this is the first time we've heard that knock and are conscious that it's up to us to get up and to go and open the door and let Jesus in. Maybe some of us have been coming along for a long time and have forgotten the door is not quite as open as it could be. Jesus, would you come into our lives? Would you not only love us, but would you correct us? Would you help us not to compromise, but to stand in our true purpose in you? Would we not just see what we value, but may we see what you value? Jesus, you alone are the one who is faithful and true, the author of creation. And so once again, we dedicate our lives in worship to you. Amen.